Yeah, kia ora i um, Yeah, we want to understand uh, these scriptures, eh? We don't want to just come to church and hear the Bible read and be like, oh, sweet as, and carry on with our lives. Uh, like I said before, we're here because we're expectant of you to work. So can you speak powerfully to us this morning, God? Um, explain to us what is the story that's, what, 2,500, 700 years ago? How does that relate to us? What is the the encouragement that you're bringing to each one of us in this room, God. Um, we know you speak to us. We know you communicate to us. So can you do that really clearly this morning? Um, yeah, we want to hear from you, eh? We really do. We know it changes everything about us. So speak clearly through your word, through me, to us. Yeah, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, so if you're just um, joining us, we've been um, going through Ruth, just doing a chapter each Sunday. It's four, um, four chapters, and this chapter three is really, really key. I mean, each of the chapters is key, but these, this is really key. But there's a whole bunch that it's setting up for chapter four. So I'm going to say a couple of times, I'd encourage you hard out to be here um, next Sunday, because there's a whole bunch today that's just setting up for chapter four. And if you're not here next Sunday, you missed like the cool part. So um, kia ora to you on the, the Kone Ipurangi, the podcast day. How you doing? Um, good on you for listening. Be cool if you could join us next Sunday and kind of um, be here to hear this whole crazy thing. So if you're just joining us and you've missed a couple of things, let me just kind of up, update you on where we're at with um, Naomi and Ruth and all this. So pretty simple. This is like the 30-second the version. Um, so we've already had a couple of chapters. So Ruth was married. Uh, and, I mean, Naomi was married and she was living in Israel and a massive famine came. And so she heads to Moab, which is like Buhis. We do not like Moab. Okay. Moab is not good. They're just massive enemies of Israel. They're always fighting and invading and destroying, and it's just like, what are you doing going to Moab? And she has two sons, but while she's there, um, the two sons get married, so they marry Moabitesses, they're called, eh? Good word to say, Moabitesses. Um, but while they're there, her husband dies, and then her two sons die. So then you just end up with Naomi, and she's got two um, daughter-in-laws who are Moabitesses, not um, Jewish ladies. Uh, and then she comes back to Israel, and uh, one daughter stays, and uh, Ruth, who the book's named after, does this really cool thing in chapter one where she's like, that's it, I'm leaving my people, leaving my gods, because she would have had multiple gods, idols and stuff, and now I'm going to follow Yahweh, which is your God, I'm going to be with you, and she's going to connect um, there. One of the big things to keep remembering, and Dave did a good job of bringing this out last Sunday, um, is that Israel hates Moab, hates, 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 right? So you've got to get that in your head. They're suspicious of anyone from Moab. So let me pick on Ben, right? So let's imagine Ben Warnock over here. Imagine Ben goes on an OE and he goes to Australia. Ooh, why would you go to Australia? Because we, Australia, he goes to Australia, meets an amazing Australian woman, they get married. He doesn't die, like in the story, because that'd just be horrible, because we love Ben. But he brings her back, and he comes back into the church. Every Sunday, all of us would just be like, whoa. Let's just keep away, because <laughs> she's from Australia, right? We just, Australians are shady, we don't like them. Like, in Israel, there was, like, centuries and centuries of hatred between um, Israel and Moab. We've got, like, maybe a century of hatred, not really, <laughs> in sports. If it's rugby, cricket, destroy them. Um, every time we saw her, we'd just be like, ooh, suspicious, right? Suspicious. We just wouldn't like Ben's wife. Maybe that's a prophecy. Interesting. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. But... <laughs> <laughs> Tina and Simon are like, woohoo, get them out of the house. No, they're not. I love them. Um, so they come back and they're real poor. So one of the big things you've got to get in this story is they are super broke. So in the ancient Near East at this time, in, in Israel, in this whole area, if you are 
um, a, a single lady, if you're a widow, you just have no rights. You're really property, right? So a husband, and you, you see it in the, in the verse um, that, that we're going to read again, a, a person would own a house, they would own land, they would own a wife, they would own a sheep. It was just part of their property, so they just have no rights, right? It's pretty crazy. And so part of that is they need to... Um, need to get someone to watch over them. One of the big things you see in the book, and one of the things I love doing with the Bible is I often, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, so often I read it, I dig in, and I'm like looking up words and all this crazy stuff, but one of the things I love to do is kind of step back sometimes and just read it as a story. So one of the things I'd love to encourage you to do, if you haven't read Ruth lately, it is, it's like 15 minutes, 20 minutes max, um, but step back as you read it and try not to get so caught up in the story and look for the hand of God in there. Because one of the things you see the whole way through the book of Ruth is just the hand of God, the hand of God, the hand of God, the hand of God. There's so many like, well, that was a coincidence. Well, that was a coincidence. Through it, but it's not a coincidence, right? It's just the hand of God, the hand of God, the hand of God. Um, to get us thinking hand of God, I'll tell you a quick silly story about Joseph and I. Um, so we, as you guys know, we lived in the States for a whole bunch of years. And when we went over there, we lived downtown Chicago um, in an apartment. And so we had to get um, our apartment before we headed over there, obviously, right? So this is, I'm real old. I've got white coming out of my bed, which I'm very proud of. Um, so this is like uh, 93 when we went over. So there's no internet, which makes you just go, Bzzz. So there was these old things called phones that were plugged into the wall and like fax machines. Unbelievable, right? So we used to send faxes. We found this hotel and we would ring them, which cost like, it was like $10 a minute to ring. It was insane. And then we'd send like these 14, 15 page faxes and they'd send this fax and it wasn't the pieces of paper. It was like a big long scroll. Does anyone remember that? Who else is old? Yeah, shot, shot old people. Man, there's heaps of us. Woohoo! Um, and so we'd get these like 14, 15 page faxes with just mil- and because it was America, heaps of it just didn't work. It was just a nightmare. Anyway, we had to send over, I think it was about $14,000 to secure our apartment because they were like, who are these New Zealand idiots? So that just broke us. We were just so broke. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, and we'd sent some money to a friend who was living in Chicago who went and bought a whole bunch of furniture for us. And then when we got to the apartment, someone had stolen all our furniture, which was like, woohoo, <laughs> it was real good. But we didn't live in a, we weren't rich, so we weren't living in like a flash area downtown. Um, but we, so we were living there, we had no money. Um, we, we got jobs on campus because our visa was a student visa, so you had to work on campus. And because we were international students, that had extra kind of orientation classes for us to figure out America, which is hilarious. Um, and so we had jobs on campus, and I was like cleaning toilets, whoop, whoop, and Joseph's working in the kitchen, serving and doing crazy stuff. Um, so after a month, they, the university only paid you once a month, and so we'd said to the, the apartment complex, so the apartment complex is like 20, 30 stories high, it's massive, right? It's right downtown Chicago. Um, and we'd said to them, look, we're not going to get paid for a month, we'll pay rent then, and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's all good. So the first month came, and instead of getting money, we got a letter from the university saying, oh, you didn't submit all your documentation, so we can't pay you. And we just freaked, because we, we, were, we were green. We were in New Zealand. I grew up in Matamata. Joe grew up in Cambridge. Now we're living downtown Chicago. We were really freaked out, right? We talked to some of our friends, um, American friends now, who were like, oh, you guys are done. They'll kick you out. Um, and we saw later on, we lived in that apartment for a few years, and people would get kicked out. They would literally just open the windows and throw everything out the windows onto the pavement. It would just smash. It was just a pretty hard area, right? So we were freaking out. I'm getting goosebumps remembering it, right? 
Because we're like, where are we going to live? How are we going to survive? What are we doing? We had no money. It was just chaos. So my friends were like, the only thing you can do is go to the manager and just plead your case. But then they would laugh and be like, there's no way. They're not going to go, oh, you will let you foreigners who we don't even know slide for another month because we weren't going to get paid for a month. And they were like, man, you guys are in big trouble. And we're like, oh, thanks for the encouragement. So I was terrified. And I remember going down to meet with the building manager who was a youngish guy, probably in his 30s, real nice guy. And I went into his office and I was free, because I was expecting him to just be like, that's it, you've got 24 hours, get your stuff out, and where would we go? It was terrifying. So I go in, this is a true story, went into his office, sat down, explained my case to him, and, and said, so we're just wondering if you can let us slide on the rent for a month. And he just goes, hey, it's no problem, easy. And I was just like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, that's totally fine. And I was like, what the heck? I went back to university and told heaps of my American friends, and every one of them was like, no way, that, that can't happen. What, what? Um, one of the things I want to encourage you to do this morning is to look back over your life and see those hand of God moments in your life, right? I think sometimes we pray for things and we get running hard and God's answering prayers and God's blessing us and God's blessing us, but often we keep running and we miss those hand of God moments in our life. Uh, maybe this afternoon, maybe sometime this week, one evening, eh, grab a coffee or a whatever you drink and sit somewhere quiet and just look back over your life and go, man, God, what are some of those hand of God moments? You see them all through Ruth. You just see God's hand. You see God's hand. You see God's hand. Same thing for you. God loves you incredibly. And we don't want to miss those hand of God moments in our life because they encourage us. They lift us up. They draw us close to him. So, so take some time to think back over your life. When's God been really obvious in my life, right? Okay. Hey, let's look at the first um, thing. So I'm kind of re-preaching Dave's message last week. It was such a good message. Um, and the, one of Dave's points was position yourself for blessing. And you just see that so clearly through chapter 3. So I'm basically preaching the same kind of idea, this position yourself for blessing. So let's read a little bit here. So let's read Ruth. I know we've read it, but it's the Bible. So last time I checked, it's good to, to read it again. Um, so we'll read... Um, Ruth chapter 3, verses um, 1 to 4, and I'll explain it a bit more, right? And one day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you. So what she's meaning is I want to get you married off, right? So remember, she's got no rights. Um, they're super poor. So, And you can see it in here because it says, uh, time that I found a permanent home for you so that you'll be provided for. So she's meaning let's not just buy a house because that's not going to provide for you. She's literally saying I need to get you married off, which is her job. Right, so in Jewish culture and a lot of our cultures, <laughs> our mums are always like, hmm, now how can I scheme to get you a, an amazing husband or an amazing wife? And normally you're like, mum, I don't need this help, nick off. But some of you need all the help you can get. No, I'm joking, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> hey, so um, verse 2, Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young woman. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. So just so we all know, threshing floor would be, um, this is just outside Bethlehem, and a threshing floor would normally be in an elevated place. It would be a, a large area of hard-packed dirt, and they would put their grain, their barley, whatever it is, on the ground, and then they would get oxen to walk over it or roll carts over it that would crack open the, the grain, and then they would um, throw it in the air, and that's why it was in a big open place. So they'd throw it in the air, and the wind would come along and blow the chaff away. Um, and the good grain would fall down, right? Does it make sense, eh? So that's, that's where they are. Um, tonight he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. And I love this verse. Eh? Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. And that's where we all just go, ow! 
Then go to the threshing floor. This is serious. I'll show you. Then go to the threshing floor. But don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and, and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. Um, we're going to talk about the feet thing in a, a little bit of time. Um, one of the things you've got to realize is that I think Ruth is a bit of a fox. Okay? So I think Ruth is a bit of a fox. So I, I had this theory when I've read the book. And so I actually did quite a bit of reading this week. Like I'm a Bible nerd. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> There's like, there was a 21st in here last night, and there's like balloons. It's like a big S for 21st, or is it a 2? I don't know. So if the sermon's boring, stare up there and figure out, is it a 2 or is it an S? Thanks, Joe. If you're listening on the podcast, yeah, 21st, there's like balloons, and when we were setting up before, we were like, I bet you some of them are going to come down in the middle of the sermon, so they did. Anyway, where were we? Ruth is a fox. Um, so one of the things is that you see Boaz, he... He recognises her, we're going to look at that verse, and then she's a hard worker and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I read in a bunch of commentaries, and several of them said that because Boaz is quite a bit older, and in their culture that was real common for a man to get established and have fields and a house and all this, and then he'd, he'd marry a younger woman, it was all good, um, that Boaz kind of thinks she's a little bit of a fox, right? So this is it in Spanish. So, root uh, esta la bomba, is how you'd say it, right? Hey, so look at this verse. This is kind of part of my, my little argument here. Um, if you look at verse, I've got it on the screen, verse 5, um, this is back in chapter 2, then Boaz asks his foreman, and I'm going to read it like Boaz said it, huh, who is that young woman over there, mm-mm-mm, who does she belong, see, see who does she belong to, because of their culture, she belongs to someone, she has no rights of her own, um, so you see that, and then the rest of chapter 2, um, she's a real hard worker, she works really, really hard, long hours, she's real hard. Um, and if you read, um, I'll read verse 15. This is real interesting because I read it to you all before. Um, verse 15, so this is after the whole foot thing and then the next morning. Verse 15 says, Then Boaz said to her, Bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak um, cloak and placed it on her back. Then, then he returned to town. Um, the, the measurements, it was a standard measurement because they're winnowing grain and then they're going to sell it or put it aside to eat and stuff. This was a standard measurement. And so the amount that he puts into this cloth is about 40 kgs, right? So 40 kgs. So one of my friends who remain nameless weighs like 47 kgs. So imagine a slim friend and you'll know who that is. That's how much she carries. So you've got to put all this together. So Ruth is a fox, yeah? Ruth is a real hard worker. She works long hours and she's pretty strong. She's pretty buff, right? So you've got to remember that Boaz is looking at her, and he's just like, man, this is a good catch, right? This is a good catch. Um, and this leads into one of my, my key points, right? We've got to position ourselves for blessing. Ruth could now have said, this older guy who's wealthy is constantly looking at me. He's protected me, chapter 2. He's looking out for me, chapter 2. He's caring for me, chapter 2. Man, I got him. I've hooked him, right? And you ladies, we know, us guys, we know you ladies know when you've hooked the guy. We're not dumb, right? Terrifies us and all that stuff, but we, we know. You guys, you women are, are cunning. She knows, but still... <laughs> I didn't hear an amen. I was expecting some amens there. <laughs> but still, she positions herself a blessing. Are you with me, eh? She could have gone to the, the floor that night just wearing what she was wearing because she's like, I'm a fox, I'm a hard worker, it's easy. But she doesn't. She goes, I want to receive the blessing from God. I want to catch this man. <laughs> so she takes a bath. She puts on perfume and stuff. I love that, eh? And that's what Naomi um, says to her. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath. Put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Um, 
She doesn't just sit back and, and, and think, I'm, I got this, this is easy. She also doesn't just sit back and think, God's got this. Does it make sense? She doesn't just sit back and think, God's got this, it's all good, I don't have to do anything. I'll just wait for God to bring the blessing. She steps out in faith. She steps out in obedience. She positions herself for blessing. This is something we see um, through the Bible again and again and again, right? Let me read these um, verses from Mark 3 and then John. If you've got the Bible, I bounce over there. It's good to follow along, make sure I'm not making all this up, eh? We see this in the Bible again and again where God could easily zap someone. He could easily fix their situation. But again and again, not always, again and again, he waits for that person to step out in faith. He waits for that person to position themselves a blessing. So let me read this. You guys know this, both these little stories really well. Uh, Mark 3, verse 1. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Now, the man shouldn't have been there because he's unclean, because he's deformed. And so you know the Pharisees, this is all a setup. Jesus is not surprised, right? Um, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath, right? Um, jump down to verse 5. Um, Jesus looked around at them angrily, because he's just ticked how they would, man, they used this poor broken guy to try and set up and catch Jesus. And he's like, you guys are so hard. Then he said to the man, and this is real interesting, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. It doesn't come across so clear in the English, but in the Greek it's really, really clear that it's as he holds out his hand, it's healed, right? So it's as he holds out his hand, it's healed. And so the whole point is he could have stood there and gone, no, 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 this is too scary. I can't do this. And not held out his hand and nothing would have happened, right? Even though Jesus has said it. He had to position himself for blessing. He had to make that step of faith. And as he does that step of faith, his hand is healed. Does it make sense? Okay, let's look at the, the John 9 verse. You, you see exactly the same thing here. Um, John 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Um, and then, so he's got this guy who's been blind from birth. It's pretty obvious. And then jump down to verse 6. Um, Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the man's eyes. And then he told him, and this is the key part, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. Interesting, right? So the man went and washed. And came back seeing. So this means that the whole way the man's walking to that pool with mud on his eyes, he's still totally blind. Still, now he's doubly blind because he's blind from birth and now he's got mud so he can't see anything, right? But it's the act of him going and stepping out in faith, right? It's the act of him, him positioning himself for blessing that brings the healing. Yeah, it's the power of God, right? It's obviously the power of God. It's not like magical mud or anything stupid like that. But it's this combination. And again, here's the thing. If he'd stood there and gone, this is ridiculous, why the heck has he done the mud in my eye? No, I'm not going to do it. And just, he wouldn't have been healed, right? <laughs> also, if he'd stood there and, and gone, this is ridiculous. You are God. Jesus, you're the son of God. You're the creator of the universe. You can heal me. I'm just going to stand here. Heal me. Again, it wouldn't have happened. It's this combination of him stepping out in faith, right? Him positioning himself a blessing that brings the, the healing, that brings the miracle, right? So Ruth cleans herself up. She puts on perfume. And she goes out to catch her man. <laughs> she steps out in faith. She positions herself for blessing. You see, in the Bible, blessing from God is almost always a combination of our stepping out in faith and God bringing the miracle. I want to break this down real practically, and I can't do it for everyone, and I don't know you all super well. So I've just got three like examples. But as I do this, I want you to think. And this is the question. What is the step of faith that God's asking you to take? Now, there's always something. 
There's always something that we're wanting God to do in our life, right? There's always a miracle, no matter how big or small, we're wanting God to do in our life. And we see Ruth taking that step of faith. Guy with a deformed hand, blind guy. So for you, think, what is that miracle? What is that thing, man? God, I really need, I need you to show up. And now the question is, what is the step of faith you need to be taking? What is the positioning yourself for obedience that you need to be doing? And I love you all, like crazy. <laughs> but sometimes we get a little lazy in our faith, right? And we just sit back and we're like, well, God's God. He can sort this. <laughs> what is that, that step of faith that God's asking you to, to take? Here's, here's some practical things I wrote down, because we've got to be practical with it. That's what Ruth does. If you're looking for a job, get some advice from one of the business owners here at church. Get your CV sorted. Get someone wise to look over it. And then get looking on Seek or Trade Me and start door knocking. You need to position yourself for blessing. If you're trying to get a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife, tidy yourself up. Get off the PlayStation or Facebook or whatever. Put down the ice cream. Hit the gym or get walking. Position yourself for blessing. Makes sense, right? If your marriage is not going so well, meet up with Graham and Julie. Meet up with Jeremy Lindell. Meet up with someone. Come and talk to me and I can hook you up with these good people. Look at yourself and start making some changes to your life and the way you treat your spouse. Position yourself for blessing. I say this next bit super carefully, so listen real carefully here. It's not enough to just pray and ask God to sort your needs. It's not enough to just pray and ask God to sort your needs. God often, but not always, waits for us to make a move of obedience, and then he brings the blessing. Ruth didn't just turn up smelly and in some crappy old clothes and expect God to bring the blessing of bringing a man who's going to protect and provide into her life. She tidied herself up. <laughs> she had a bath. What? <laughs> Put on perfume, man. So you're thinking right now, what is that miracle you need? It might be little. It might be something real small. It might be something massive where you're like, <sighs> what's that step of faith that God's asking you to take in that situation, right? Don't forget, it's always God's job to bring the miracle. It's our job to take the step of obedience. And often the step of obedience is quite small, so don't look at the miracle and think, oh, I need to do all this, right? That's God's job to do the miracle. But it's your job to take that step of faith. It's your job to position yourself for obedience. Okay, let me pray, and then we're going we're gonna to carry on. Let me pray for us. Yeah. Yeah, Atua, we thank you for your love for us. Um, you see everyone's hearts right now. You see the hearts of people listening on the podcast right now. And you see that some people right now are thinking of some massive things. They are not thinking of little things like jobs, man. They are thinking of the health of loved ones, marriages on the rocks, messed up kids that are far from you, um, their own health. <laughs> terrifying financial situations. You see these needs, God. Again, we acknowledge that you are the miracle maker. <laughs> but it's our job to take that step of faith. Can you make it clear to us right now? What is that, that step of faith we need to take? What are you calling us to do in this situation? Help us not to overexert and to try and be the miracle guy. 
the miracle lady. Help us to know you're the one that will do the miracle. But you so often, not always, but you so often wait for us to step in faith. Can you make it really clear to us? What is that step of faith? You need us to make, God. What do you want us to do to position ourselves to receive your blessing? And we know your blessing doesn't always look like we want. We know your blessing is good and you love us and care for us. Um, But can you give us clarity in that, God? Yeah. Yeah, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so we're going to move to... um, so the second point, but where's Victoria? Hola, amiga. Victoria's going to come up and tell us a bit of a crazy story. So um, most of you know Victoria. Hands up who loves Victoria. We all love Victoria. Really? Oh, my gosh. Some people didn't put their hand up. Robert, out. <laughs> Unbelievable. Man. Hey, so we all love Victoria. So oh, I need the mic. Um, so Victoria, as we know, when she travels, is terrifying, right? She, we love you. But she makes some crazy choices, so i got some pictures coming up. So Victoria went to Moab, of course she did, when she was traveling. And that's where the story starts, right? Chapter 1 is all about Moab, and everything turned to custom, they come back to Israel. So I was talking to Victoria this week, and she was telling me a Moab story. And I was like, that's ridiculous, you need to tell us your Moab story. Is that okay? Do we have some pictures? So, uh, yes, so we were in in Moab, but actually that one is in in one of the deserts near to Petra. And I was with my friend, and we decided that we want to sleep outside, not in the little tents that you see in the back of the pictures. So we want to sleep like just in the floor, you can see. Mm. And this yeah. is actually carpets. So we have just, if you see there, it's just a little light fence, mm-hmm. not to hide really. Yeah. And the, the man here, he was the one who was looking after us. And we were just, my friend and I, in the old village. There was nobody else. And, but the man was, no, no, you can't sleep outside. You can't sleep. Because I didn't speak the language, but my friend, she couldn't speak the language. He was very refused that we sleep outside. And and he was no you you know you have to go to sleep in the tents because you know if it's an animal or something like dangerous, you know. So this is in the middle of nowhere. Like in the middle of the desert, like yeah, no no people in that village. But even like the the near one was like you can will take like you three hours to walk to the next one or something like that. So so yeah, so we actually sleep there. In the in the floor, and and the man so have to uh, stay with us. So he <laughs> he decided to stay with us, but not not like very close, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, Ooh, <laughs> because if something happened, you know, he have to like I don't know, he he have like a long knife, you know. Yeah. Which is why you shouldn't be sleeping out in the open. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then, like, I don't know what time it was, but we were already sleeping. And it was so amazing, just, you know, the stars, there was no light, so you really could see all the stars. You can't really even, like, take pictures. You have to just enjoy. And suddenly, not sure what was the time, but we started to, f- to hear, like, some, like, very, um, like, big steps. Mm. 
and we <laughs> I opened my, I think it was my friend, we said, Victoria, Victoria, and when I opened my eyes, was just camels, wild camels, crossing, wide one, like so huge, like you, I don't know, like the, the, the guy was still there, and he was awake, but we were like very quiet, like not make any noises, anything. But it was still amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the camels and the wild camels. Wild. Not like they were person, just passing, you know, they were just passing like, 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 a, like a line, you know? Yeah. And you see the, the fence was so, yeah. so short. Okay, and that one here is, was, it's a picture of what could be like a roof tent. Yeah, if you'd slept in the tent, maybe. Yeah, yeah. it's like they're trying to recreate mm. the tent of Ruth in that oh, one. Oh, Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Ruth. Sorry, that's yeah. what Ruth's tent will look that like. That one. Yeah. And awesome. that was just the desert where we were, like nothing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Cool. Gracias, amiga. Clap, clap, clap. Yeah. Woo. So crazy. So one of, one of my reasons for um, asking Victoria is, I just wanted us to get, it's a pretty crazy area. And again, like when Victoria told me the story, there was more emphasis. The guy was just like, no, you can't. What are you doing, two single ladies? This is completely nuts, but it's Victoria, so we know that she's slightly crazy. Hey, so the first point is this, position yourself for blessing. And here's the second point. This is, this is pretty quick. Um, while you're positioning yourself for blessing, God is often positioning someone else to bless you. While you're positioning yourself for blessing, God is often positioning someone else to bless you, which I just love this, right? Um, let's read verses uh, 8 and 9, just because they're hilarious. I read them before, but I want to read them again. Let me go back to Root 3, 9 and 10. Um, so he wakes up, right? At midnight, Boaz woke up. Oh, I was going to tell you the feet thing. So most commentators, I didn't, I've heard through grapevines that this is real rude and she's doing something shady. But all the commentators I read, they were like, people have talked like that way back in the day. But there's no truth to it at all. And the idea is real, makes sense. It's just to make his feet cold. So he wakes up and I'm like, oh. So hands up, who hates waking up with cold feet? Anyone? It's just me. Well, there's only a few of us. Okay, the rest of you, weird. I hate it because you wake up and then you're like, oh, you've got to cover your feet. And that's the whole point. And the whole point is that he'll wake up with cold feet in the middle of the night when everyone else is asleep, right? Um, so let me read these verses. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. Oh, so funny. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. And then she says this cool verse. I'm spread your, the corner of your covering over me. For you are my family redeemer. I don't have time to unpack that, so the life groups this week are going to... Um, pull that apart because it's a prayer. It's, it's, it's the answer to a prayer that Boaz prayed in um, back in chapter two. Super cool. Um, so, so the idea is just that he's he's got cold feet, and so he totally wakes up. But the thing that you see is like Naomi. When you're looking through the story, especially in chapter three at the beginning, remember the whole go and bathe and that. You see that Naomi is scheming and planning, and that's all good. Um, so that Ruth would get married, and, and then Ruth is the one that obeys, and Ruth is the one who takes the risk, if you like, you know, to uncover a guy's feet and sleep at his feet. It's kind of crazy. Um, so she's the one that, that takes the risk. She's the one who steps out in faith. And the thing I love that you see, though, is that even though she's stepping out in faith, she's positioning herself for blessing, at the same time, God is working in the heart of Boaz, and Boaz is all ready for this, right? So I chucked it on the screen because I want us to see it real clearly. Here's um, Ruth 3, verse 13. So she does that, and this is in the middle of the night, they're having this crazy conversation, and she asks him to put her 
uh, his cloak over her. Did I say that before? So this is still happens today. I, I didn't know this. So when I was researching, so still today, let me go back real quick. Um, still today, in a lot of ancient, near, oh, now just Near Eastern cultures, when a man goes to marry a woman, he'll literally take the corner of his robe and put it over her knee, over her leg, symbolically saying, I am covering you with my protection. This is what she says to Boaz. Can you now put your, your cloak over me to cover me? I'm going to be yours kind of thing. You're my protector and stuff. It's such a cool image. Um, and so she's asking him to redeem her. I'm going to talk all about redemption next Sunday, so you need to come back for chapter 4. Um, but this is this verse 13. I love this. But while this is Boaz speaking, he says, While it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there is another man who's more closely related to you than I am. And I go, see, he's been figuring this out, right? Because Ruth is, what's Ruth? She's a, a La Bomba, right? La Bomba. So he's thinking, man, I want to marry this fox, right? So he's been checking out the genealogy and the family. So do you see what I mean? While Naomi's doing the scheming and the planning and Ruth's stepping forward, God, at the same time, is bringing someone else in to bless her. I just love that, eh? Um, stay here tonight, of course, because he's got a hot woman at his feet. And in the morning, I'll talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I'll redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. And I want to unpack this whole, um, this whole redemption thing next um, Sunday. The thing I want to, and I want to finish with this, the thing I want us to finish with thinking about is how often in our lives has God brought blessing? We stepped out in faith, but God ended up bringing the blessing through someone else, blessing us, right? And I think we miss that a lot. So let me be weird for a minute. One of my dreams is that when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, we can watch video replays of cool times in human history. Does that make sense? So two things on that. One, God will have the most amazing TV sound system ever. It will be legit, right? And you could sit down in there and we could watch creation. You imagine watching a video replay of creation. You'd just be like, Whoa! or the parting of the Red Sea. And you're just like, what the heck? The power of God, this is amazing. I'd love to see that. Um, to make it more personal, one of the things I'd love to see is a video replay of my life. I don't care about you guys. My life with the hand of God very evident in it. <laughs> I'd love to be able to look back in my life and be like, oh my goodness, that's why. Oh man, I thought it was just me being real smart, but it was actually you, God, doing stuff and caring for me. Or that was an angel in that situation. I had no idea, right? I'd love to see that. The number one thing I'd love to see <laughs> is how many times in my life did I receive blessing because one of you crazy people was the Boaz in my story as I'm Ruth. Does that make sense? In this story, you see Naomi scheming, Ruth steps out in faith. But the whole thing that makes this work is that God has been working in the heart of Boaz to position Boaz so that when she asks, he's like, yeah, yeah, I've already been researching. I'm already on it, right? One of the things I was thinking this week is I was thinking, man, how many times in my life have, have I've been here like over a year now, have I thought something went really, really well and it was purely because one of you were praying for me <laughs> or one of you was helping and assisting on the side or whatever, right? And, and I thought it was because I was real smart and amazing and good. I was thinking about Wendy. Wendy and I text quite a lot, a lot of weird stuff about Chico, but also some prayers and cool things. And I was thinking, man, how many times have I prayed or been going to meet with someone in the church about something important, and it, the, the conversation goes super well. And yeah, I was faithful, and I stepped out in faith, positioned myself for blessing, all that good stuff, but the reason it went really well is because Wendy's faithfully sitting at home praying for me. <laughs> and I was like, man, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to sit in the new heavens and the earth and, and watch? Is there another balloon coming down? Yeah. I can see all your eyes going over there. Wouldn't it be amazing in the new heavens and new earth to be able to sit and see, oh my goodness, the reason that went so well, the reason I was blessed so much by God there was me stepping, 
but it was because some cool person here or around the planet was praying, was stepping out in faith with me. Man, I just love that, eh? I love that. Etu, do you want to stand up? Hey, and if the band can come up and play, that'd be good. Okay, so here's my final bit. I talked about this before, but I want to finish on this, right? What is the key miracle or blessing you need God to do in your life? And what is the step of faith that you're taking to position yourself for blessing? So I just want us to sit on that for a minute. So let's just kind of close our eyes if that helps you focus um, and just think, what is that? Some of you will be like, man, i got like five. Um, for some of you, it's real clear. Straight away, you're like, yep, I know what it is. This is the miracle I need. This is the thing I need God to do in my life right now. And so my question then is, what is that step of faith God's asking you to, to make? Remember Ruth? Remember the guy with the deformed hand? Remember the man born blind? You just see it again and again and again in the Bible. God's there. He's, he's ready. He's present to bring the blessing, but so often he's waiting for us to step out in faith. Sometimes the step is real small. It's real easy. Sometimes the step is huge, terrifying. <laughs> So what's that step of faith God's asking you to take? What's that area of your life that you're like, man, I need Jesus to show up. I need a miracle. And then what's your part in it? Remember, it's God's job to do the miracle. It's not your job. But it's your job to step in faith. It's your job to position yourself for blessing. And Almighty God, we're humble before you. Man, to think, to even pause and think that you would want to care for us, that you want to bring blessing into our lives, that you want to bring a miracle, a literal miracle, into one of our lives just makes us go, wow. Can you give us clarity on this, though, God? You see our hearts, and you know how frustrated we are when we want you to work and act in some way. And sometimes we're off track. Clarify us if we're off track. But we want to know, what is that step of faith you're calling us to make? Yeah. God, and I ask you to be real present to us. Um, you know some people in this room, the thing they just thought about is massive. It is huge, and they are freaking out. They are freaking out because they're desperate for you to move in their life. Can you hear their prayer? guide them in that step of faith, but then be just so present, so active in their life, God. And we would love to be a church. We just hear testimony after testimony of how God has moved in power in our lives because we're people of faith, people of obedience, God. Yeah, hear our prayers. Praise the name of Jesus.